please open your Bibles uh, to Genesis chapter 6. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we do have some in the back there for you, if you'd like to get one, or pull out your mobile device. Or you could um, just look on the um, keynote that we've got up there. Now, we're going to be covering a lot of scripture today, actually three whole chapters. And I know that it's quite a departure um, from what we're used to. Uh, But our section today, um, we encounter Noah and the flood, which is undoubtedly one of the best known accounts and best known stories in the Bible. So it spans, we're going to span from uh, Genesis chapter 6, verses 8, all the way through chapter 9. And there's no other narrative story in the Bible that is given so much real estate. And and it's the centerpiece of Genesis 1 through 11. And we've been for the last four months as a church going through the book of Genesis, spending a lot of time line by line on the creation account. And so now we come to the narrative flood. It's, It's actually almost silly to try and tackle it all in one sermon, but I will try. So our text today is going to focus on the following scriptures, and they are a lot of them. Genesis 6, 8 through 11, 13 and 14, uh, 18 through 22, 7, 1, 7, 5, 8, 1, 15, 16, 20, 21, 9, 11, 13, 10, 4, over and out. Good buddy. Okay. (laughs) Beginning in uh, verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kind, And of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation." And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. I establish my covenant with you, 
that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, that you have made your word to be inspired and and written for our learning. And so, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would help me to be able to communicate your word clearly to what you have to say to your church today. And God, I pray that we may hear from you in such a way that we are able to read and mark and, and inwardly digest all of its truth. And God, I pray that we embrace and hold fast the hope of the everlasting life that you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So now I think that we've been fed the the wrong idea about Noah just from the very beginning. And, and maybe some of you guys can relate to this because in Sunday school, I mean, I didn't grow up in Sunday school, but, um, uh, but maybe you did. And uh, as you've heard it said that Noah went into the ark, uh, you know, two by two, the lion, the bear, and the kangaroo. I mean, it's actually kind of funny how Noah and Noah's account of the ark and the flood has been watered down, it's, uh, to a sense, no pun intended. But um, <laughs> anyhow, it, it's just, and, and we see this all the time in these exquisite children's books with these, you know, graphic representations and even, uh, you know, uh, wallpaper with all of these animals and these lovely unicorns and zebras and lions and tigers and bears, oh my, I mean, it's, it's all there. But... But what's interesting, though, is that they don't talk about the, uh, the, the wrath of God and the absolute destruction of humanity of everything that has breath in it, because that's what happened. And, and, and I think that we're easily distracted from the main issues of the, account, of the account because of the beauty in how the story is told. And it's disturbing. It's disturbing because it reveals to us a God that is so distressed and so grieved by by human sin and wickedness that his judgment puts an end to all living creatures. Everything that had breath in it, the same breath that God breathed into man, everything just wiped out like that. Yet it also reveals to us a God that is so committed in love to his creation. He's so in love with his creation that he's willing to save the only family that trusts his promise. And, and, and not only the, the, this family that trusts his promise, but all of the animals. All the animals. And I, I think that's wonderful. Because, because it shows uh, that, that God is not just concerned about us, but all of his creation. So in just six chapters into the Bible we see a recurring theme. We see the the recurring theme of blessing, and that blessing is being threatened by sin, but preserved by divine mercy. And the flood account is one of swift and terrible judgment on sinful rebellion. It's the contrast of Noah and his generation, the way of righteousness versus the way of open rebellion against God. And we see a description of how God judges the wicked and starts a new order with the righteous. And it concludes with with a sacrifice of a worshiping community, 
the first family that gathers around and after escaping the judgment and, 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 and they, they worship together, offering sacrifice and thanksgiving to God. But in it all, Noah became the means of saving grace. And I think that we need to pay careful attention to this message. But we also have to understand that the message is not the flood. I mean, although that it's one of the most gripping accounts in all of the Bible, the message is not the flood. And neither is the message one of judgment. Though it describes an awful judgment, the message is not one of judgment. Now, uh, Pastor Dave gave a sermon titled, What God Does About Evil. If you haven't listened to that sermon, go back, download it, and listen to it. I highly recommend that. Rather, the story here focuses on Noah as the kind of man who is saved out of a lost world. You see, the message here is salvific in nature. Here is where we find out why God saved Noah. And and I think that's that's the first question. I'm like, what made Noah so righteous in the first place? What about about you? What about me? That's what I want to know. And what's interesting here is that God chooses Noah, but Noah doesn't even have a single line in this entire narrative. Noah doesn't even open his mouth because God is the main character. And, and Noah is, is resolved to like a two-bit player in, in, in this story. Although he is the other main character, God is the main character. And so that's what I want to focus on today. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about Noah. And the way that I want to approach the text and, and what I want to focus on is, are, are three things about Noah. One, the faith of Noah, second, the obedience of Noah, and then the grace of God. So the faith of Noah, the obedience of Noah, and the grace of God. Now, we actually have an artist's rendition of Noah and the the ark while he was building it. Um, I'm the one on the right. I responded to an ad for righteous models. It's a pretty righteous pose, I think, but... There's a story behind that. I can tell you that afterwards. So let's look at how Noah is described in this passage uh, as, with the faith of Noah, starting there. In verse 8, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Moses describes Noah in terms of a fully dimensioned man of God. He's described as a righteous man. He's blameless in his generation, and and he walked with God. Now, we're also told that Noah was a father. He had three sons. So Noah here was righteous, not because he was perfect by any means, and we find that out later in chapter 9, but because he believed God. And like Abraham after him, who believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. So here we see that Noah believes. And Noah was also blameless in his generation. This describes his moral conduct. Now, he wasn't blameless compared to God, but he was blameless in his generation of people who despise God. 
Now, depending on what version you read through in the Bible, I think that the New International Version really gets this right. It says that Noah was a righteous man, man, blameless among the people of his time. And so like Enoch, Noah was with, walked with God. And, uh, and Enoch and Noah now, they were the only two patriarchs to walk with God. They, they experienced a taste of, of the intimacy and the obedience that pre-fallen Adam and Eve uh, had and knew when they walked with God in the garden. We're told that Noah was a father. He was the head of a family. So, so here, again, Noah is just a fully dimensioned, remarkably complete man of God. And Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, in this account, we see the faith of Noah when God speaks of the future, but Noah acts in the present. God speaks of the future, but Noah acts in the present. Now, that is faith. And that's exactly what Noah did. He acted. For 120 years, he labored. God speaks to Noah about the future. I mean, God is, tells him what he's going to do and then gives him instructions, and we see that in, in verse 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth, so make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, I mean, this must have sounded strange to Noah, don't you think? I mean, he, he, he's now commissioned with being a one-man shipbuilder. The text doesn't record what Noah thought, or, um, or there's no record of what went on in his mind. And if, I just think, if, if that were me, I would have been like, okay, wait a minute, let me make sure that I heard this right. And, and I'm sure that's what you would have said. Or, better yet, for those of you who are married, could you imagine... I mean, there's no account here of what Mrs. Noah said. <laughs> I know my wife, she would be like, wait, what did God say to you? Instead, the text records Noah's action in the present. And it does so with a single bold verse. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Verse 22. And it's that response, it's that response that he did all that he was told to do as God commanded him that shows his faith. Noah believed what God said. Because faith is much more than just knowing the truth or, and it's much more than, than having an intellectual understanding of the truth because it's only faith when the understanding about the future is seen in the present. It's only faith when the understanding about the future is seen in the, as a matter of fact, in the action of the present. So how do we know that Noah was certain about what God said about the future? How do we know? We know that he was certain about what God said because of how he acted in the present. And I, I don't think that that could have been very easy for, for Noah. There, there's no way. Because it was way, way out of anything that Noah had ever experienced before. All of his personal experience. And I, I don't want to go and speculate and uh, talk about, uh, you know, of course, again, it had never rained on the earth. And then all of what the naysayers and all of the criticism, because it's just simply not there in the text. That's all speculation. 
But I can imagine. So how is that now with your personal experience? And what God has said to you based on what God has said. I mean, there are certain things that are in your life that aren't actually, that haven't come yet, but they are going to be. So how do you act now on God's future promise to you? What does that look like for you? How are you acting on, on restoration in your life, with your family, with your with your with maybe an ex in a, in a relationship or something like that? How are you working on complete joy in Jesus? How are you working on peace right now? I mean, how are you living out your understanding of the future in the present right now? And if we look at Noah, the only thing that he had to sustain him was the bare word of God. That's it, in verse 18 and 19. God says that he's gonna establish a covenant with him, he's gonna make him a promise that, that he should go into the ark along with his sons, his, his, his wife, his son's wives, and all what he had was the word of God, that's it. So is the word of God sustaining you? Or are you trying to uh, find a better plan for yourself? And so we see in chapter seven, God again speaks of the future. And the future is much more imminent this time. I mean, you know, God, God spoke the first time and it was 120 years. Now God speaks again and in just seven days. That future reality is going to come true. Genesis 7.1. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So now... This time, Noah goes from being a shipbuilder, and now he's a zookeeper. It's, it's unbelievable. He's told to assemble uh, the animals, and uh, again, that's a whole other uh, story there, God, how God commanded. It's amazing. It really, but, but once again, Noah believes according and, and acts according to how he behaves. He believes by how he behaves. And for the second time, we're told that Noah did everything that God had commanded him. In, in Genesis 6, uh, verse 22, and then again in, in uh, chapter 7, verse 5. Noah did all that God commanded him to do. Now that's faith. That's faith. And that's the evidence of his belief, which is the obedience of his life. Do you see how, how faith and obedience kind of marry here? And that's what faith is. Faith is obedience to God. And that's our next point. Now we see the obedience of Noah. Because Noah was a lone ranger of obedience. He was righteous towards God and blameless to his neighbors. No one could accuse uh, Noah of injustice. He had not wronged anyone. He, he wasn't contaminated by uh, the evil that surrounded him. He regarded God more than man, and he formed his, his, all of his, his entire life as a whole, his thoughts, his actions, his words. He looked towards God, and, and he, he banked his entire life on what God had said. It wasn't the opinions of others that governed uh, Noah's next step. It wasn't what others thought and felt about Noah, 
but it was the word of God that sustained him. It was the word of God that impacted him the most. So here was a man who knew who God was. Noah knew who he was and his standing with God, and he obeyed God's word. Noah was a man alive to God, and Noah believed God. And so once again, what about your thoughts, your life, your actions, your words? What's directing you? And and how well do you know the love of God? I mean, I'm still just, I I don't understand it. I mean, I'm here, up here, I understand it. I understand, I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, God loves me, I get that. But, but here in my heart, I mean, it's like I wanna hang on to this brokenness, this broken nature, I'm like, oh, but God is all about the restoration, the healing, so am I walking in that? Is what God says about you the truest thing in your life? And that's what I, I, I want to leave here today. And as studying and preparing for this, I had to consistently tell myself that I am I'm what, what God says that I am. Not what I do. Not what other people say about me. What God says about me is the truest thing in my life. And so it is with you. Now, Noah didn't obey God perfectly by any um, sense. He, but, but he did obey God fully, completely, and specifically. It wasn't perfect, but it was complete and specific. And, and Noah couldn't improve on God's plan. I mean, because that's pretty crazy to build something that's never been built before for 120 years. But you know what? I, we, Noah couldn't improve on God's plan, and neither can you or I. So God follows the announcement of judgment with a plan for rescue. And we see that Noah builds an ark out of obedience. Noah builds an ark out of obedience. Because God told Noah what he was gonna do. He gives him specific instructions on exactly how to build it and then makes a covenant promise with him in verse 18. So once again, we see the recurring theme of blessing threatened by sin but preserved by divine mercy. In six chapters, and this is gonna be a constant theme that recurs over and over and over again. The blessings of God passed down from Adam to Noah and then eventually to Abraham. But, but here what we have with Noah, Noah is the sole successor to Adam. And, and the, the, the parallels of, of Adam's life and Noah's life are amazing, if you look in the Bible. Both walk with God. Both are the recipients of promissory blessing. Both are caretakers of the lower animals. Both father three sons. Both are workers of the soil. Both sin through the fruit of the tree. And both, a fa- and both father a wicked son who, in the end, will end up under a curse. So Noah builds an ark out of obedience. And then, and then after setting foot on the new earth, the very first thing that he does is build an altar and, and offer sacrifices of thanksgiving to God. So we see that, that Noah now builds an altar out of precedence. Noah builds an altar out of precedence. 
because Noah was also a prototype of Moses. There are, again, remarkable similarities between Noah's deliverance and that of Moses' life recounted in Exodus 1 and 2. It's, it's amazing if you look. And again, you see these recurring themes coming up. Noah and Moses were both delivered by means of a, a teba. It's a teba, and I don't know, I'm probably mispronouncing it. It's a Hebrew word. It's the same, teba is the word that is used both for ark, and it's also the same word that's used for basket that Moses was set and delivered through. Moses, like Noah, receives detailed instructions on exactly how to build the tabernacle. Just as Noah received exact, specific directions on how to build the ark. They share, uh, in the language of ceremonial matters, as Noah is told to bring in clean and unclean animals, Moses is later told uh, on what what clean and unclean uh, animals to bring to sacrifice. They share the practice of the burnt offering. They uh, are given restrictions on the lifeblood, the language of covenant law, attention to numeric numbers, sevens, forties, and they're both given a covenant sign, the rainbow and the Sabbath. And moreover, they they tell a story of, of someone removed by water. Moses being removed from from uh, Pharaoh's household being delivered through the water and Noah being delivered uh, from the waters by the grace of God in the flood. So the first thing that Noah does is when he gets on the, the new earth is he builds an altar and offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And for the second time in the Bible, we hear about the heart of God. You may recall that the first time that we heard about the heart of God is when uh, in, in Genesis 6, 6, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. You've probably heard it said that your sin, that my sin, breaks God's heart. And it says it right here. God's heart is filled with pain when sin over, overruns and takes over our lives. But now, after the altar, and this is kind of a, a trippy story here, I it's interesting that um, Noah has like a heavenly barbecue or something. I don't, I don't know. It's like he throws some meat and offers the sacrifice and God smells this pleasing aroma. And he's like, mmm, barbecue. He's like, I'll never do this again. Judge the, the earth by water. So a brand new world comes from this. Not a perfect world, not Eden by any uh, a perfect sinless world, because God says that the essential sinfulness in humanity still remains. And so once again, I, I'm like, why? The judgment of God just came and wiped that all out. So what, what else did Noah bring into the ark with him? Okay, he brought the animals, check. Brought his wife, check. He brought his son's wife, check. What else did he bring? Noah brought sin with him into the ark. Noah carried sin into the ark along with the rest of his family, and that's why sin remains. And I want to encourage you guys to do, um, if you haven't done any word studies in the Bible, I mean, I could geek out and spend days doing it. 
And I think probably out of all of my favorite words in the Bible, um, my favorite one would probably be the word but. And, and especially when, when God is the next word after that, but God. Because, again, the, the narratives and the stories in the Bible can sometimes be um, very challenging. And I love the grace of God here. So finally, the grace of God. The hinge between the two halves of the flood story fall in Genesis 8, chapter 1. Verse 1. It says, but God remembered Noah. And the function of the hinge is this. God's remembering is more than, than, than God just him recollecting something because when God remembers, he acts. God's remembering is more than just a recollection because when God remembers, he acts. When God remembered Abraham, he saved Lot. And when God remembers Sarah, excuse me, when God remembered Rachel, she conceived. One commentator says this, He says that God's remembering always implies his movement towards the object. The essence of God's remembering lies in his acting towards someone because of a previous commitment. And so God remembered Noah. So now God acted to bring reconciliation and restoration and recreation to the flooded world. God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Word study. Wind and spirit are the same word in Hebrew. Wind and spirit are the same word. So the wind echoed the spirit in Genesis 1 hovering over the waters at creation, and, and the same wind that blew over the waters here after the flood. It's amazing the parallels, again, and these themes that you have. So God remembered. And God remembered his covenant. So God, now he acts, he, he acted to remind his creation of his everlasting promise. Verse 15 and 16 of chapter 9. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So when God remembers, he acts. And it's, great, it's so kind of him even to put a symbol, a covenant that we can actually see. Another fascinating thing, word, is the word rainbow. It's actually warbow. Um, I'll let you go and, and study that or come and talk to me afterwards. It's fascinating about that. But still, the question remains here after all of this is why Noah? Once again, the word favor. You know, we, we see back to the very beginning in, in chapter uh, 6, verse 8, where we picked up, is that God found favor in the sight of the Lord. And the word favor is the Hebrew word for grace, which appears here for the very first time in the Bible. 
And for being a student of the Bible, the, the, the word of first mention, the very first time, sets its precedent. Just like how Noah set precedence in building that altar for what is to come. So grace, favor, is the same word in Hebrew as, as grace. It's echoed repeatedly by Paul throughout the New Testament in his teaching on salvation by grace through faith. Salvation has always been grace through faith and not of works. And Paul writes that in the letter to the Ephesians in, in chapter two, verse six, where he says, for, or excuse me, verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is of God. It's by God's grace. Because everyone was a sinner in Noah's day, just like how everyone is a sinner today, just like you and me. God had no good person to work his, his plans to accomplish what he was going to do through redemption. And so God worked by saving an undeserving sinner like Noah through grace, thereby enabling him to live a righteous life. So God brought Noah through the flood. And, and God brings us through difficult times and through the judgmental times and through the difficult uh, when the floods come into our life. God brings us through that. But you still need to get into the ark. You need to get into Christ. You see, the account of Noah and the, the ark and the flood was just a foretaste of the cross. Noah and the ark pointed forward to Christ because it was through him that God would save him and continue the human race on the earth. And Noah and the ark pointed towards Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ would preserve his people from spiritual death and give them eternal life. Apart from the grace of God, no one could obey. No one could could demonstrate that righteousness apart from the grace of God, just like with, with Noah. And, and you and I, we can do nothing apart from the Holy Spirit enabling us to do something good. I mean, we can do a lot of bad things. I have certainly done a lot of bad things. But we can do apart from the grace of God, the Holy Spirit of God, we can do no good. Christ is the only vessel for salvation just like Noah and the ark. We see salvation through judgment. Salvation through judgment. Because Christ is the greater Noah who saves his people from the waters of death by his faithful obedience and atoning sacrifice. As the flood waters came and, and rushed in and and as the waters came from above and, and from the ground and crushed everyone, it was the same waters that saved Noah and raised him up and saved him and his family. And that's the pattern of salvation through judgment. And that's the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we ask you that you would help us believe, Lord, that you would give us grace sufficient for today, 
because so often we are conformed to the, pro, uh, to the, the promises of, of this life and to the patterns of this world, Lord, that aren't from you, and giving little or any thought of, of the future reality. And God, it's hard sometimes because you, you tell us sufficient for today are the troubles for today, that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow. So help us to believe, Lord, about the reality of heaven, the reality future of one day being with you, Jesus, and convince us, convince us of that whatever happens to us in the present, whatever the present brings us, or whatever difficulty or hardship comes our way, that we're able to continue fighting the good fight and running the race and staying on course. Help us to show off the, the certainty of our future by our perseverance. Help us to throw off the sin. Help us, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus. The one who endured the cross so that we may finish the race. And God, I pray for those who are considering giving up. Lord, I pray that that you would help us and help them be sure of the things not yet seen so that we may keep on going.